as the body of Christ, I've got a question for you. I want you to ponder on this for a minute. What's real? How do you define real? What's real to you? What is reality? You know, I tried to look it up in the dictionary. And online, they had like four or five. And I went through all of them. And these are some of the things that they tried to toss out. It was really kind of vague. They said, real, the definition is something that's existing. <laughs> it's occurring. It's a fact. It's actual rather than imagined. It's not made up. It's not artificial. And that's the things that they come up with. And then when I went to some of the images for what's real, it shocked me because I've seen it at the store and I've often laughed. Have you been to the store lately and saw the labels that says, made with real ingredients? Made with real... Really? I'm glad they're real. What were you putting in here before this when you had to start saying, I've got some real ingredients? But I want to challenge you with the thought, is there anything more real than that? How about the things that are eternal? Because whenever, whenever I like the way I was taught by my parents, grandparents, and even in school. Back in my day, they said real was this. Things that your five senses come up with. What you can see, what you can feel, what you can hear what you can smell, all, these things are real because your senses can grab a hold of them. But what about this? The Word of God lives and abides forever. We can see it and we can read it and we can feel it, but what about the Lord? What about His Holy Spirit? What about God the Father? What about the angelic beings that are out there and about? What about the heavenly realm? We can't see it. We can't feel it. A lot of people say it's not real then. But I'm going to tell you what. It's more real than anything that's on here. Because Peter tells us something in his first epistle. He says this. He says, The day of the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night. And which the heavens are going to pass away. And the earth. And all with a great noise. The elements will melt with a fervent heat. The earth and the works that are in this world will be burnt up. Therefore, here's a conclusion. Since all of these things that you think are real. And that are around you. Since they will be dissolved. What manner of persons ought we to be? In all things of conduct, of holy conduct and godliness, we look forward to and hasten the day when all of these things will come. And we look forward to when the elements will melt with a fervent heat. According to his promise. Looking for a new heaven and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. God is eternal. The word is eternal. It will be here after this earth is burned up. The heavenly realm where God dwells is eternal. All of these things was present before the things that the world calls real was ever became into existence. So what is real, I challenge you with, is what's going to be eternal and what lasts after this world is burned up. That's what is real. They're more real than this building. 
than our cars, than the, anything that we see because it's all going to be gone. Jesus once said, why are you packing for yourself treasures on earth? They rust, the moth will come and eat them. Peter says he also told him that the elements will melt with a fervent heat and it will be gone. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth does not eat and rust does not destroy. So there is something more real than the things that we see upon this earth. And there is a great day of the Lord coming when that's going to take place. So turn with me, if you would, in our text this morning to 2 Peter chapter 1. It'll be our third lesson in this chapter, and we're going to hopefully finish the chapter this morning. And <clears throat> I was going to do it in my prayer, and I, I probably will again, but I want to remind you now. Starting next week, if we continue on in 2 Peter, we're going to get into some crazy stuff. We're going to get into angelic beings. We're going to get into angels who who sinned, who are cast into in a dungeon and waiting for the eternal judgment. We're going to see how that we've been talking about the Word of God and just exactly how the Lord and how God thinks about false teachers and how are they like those angels in Sodom and Gomorrah. There's a lot of things coming up. So if that piques your curiosity and interest, invite a friend and bring them because we're going to get into some deep stuff. And we're going to get into Tartarus and the place where the angels are being held. So all of these things are coming attractions. But right now in 2 Peter chapter 1 and about verse 15. We're going to see something that Peter says is more real than everything that you see around you. Even your experiences that you go through. There's something else that's more real than that. And it's this. He says in 1 Peter you stay in, in 2 Peter, but in 1 Peter, it says this in chapter 1, 23 through 25. He says, you must be born again so that you can be eternal. You must be born again so that you can have eternal life and not eternal death because your soul is eternal. Not of corruptible seed, but an incorruptible which comes through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh, whether it's us whether it's animals, whether it's fish or fowl, all flesh is as grass. And all the glory of man, all of your treasures, is as the flowers of grass. And I don't know about you, but the grass in my front yard is drying up and turning brown because I don't water it. I let the Lord water it. And the flowers are withering, the grass is browning up, and it says that all of these things are going to happen, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And he's going to be telling us in our text today, and starting in verse 14, if you're there in 2 Peter chapter 1. I know something. Since all of this is going to happen, that all flesh is as grass in the flower of grass, that I am getting ready. I must put off this tent of mine. This body is a temporary housing. It's a tent. And I'm getting ready to put it off. And I'm going to fold it up. And I'm going to leave this earthly body. And my eternal soul is going to go face to face. And meet the Lord. And then he says this. But he told me as long as I am in this tent to feed his sheep. To tend to him. He gave me that challenge before he resurrected. And that's what I'm doing to you. And so I am going to give you words of inspiration. The new King James says there in verse 15. I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things. That I'm going to tell you and to leave with you. 
And that translation there, it doesn't have quite the impact of what it really says. Because what it really says is, I will be diligent. And that means, spudazo means to do something with veal, vigor, to be just overwhelmed that I have to do this and I got to do it now. And he says it's a special effort. I am now going to tell you and I'm going to leave you something that you can have for later times, even now, 2,000 years later, so that you can have these things to have, it says, but it's possess, to have and to hold on to these doctrines as a lasting remembrance. These things last and I want you to have them and to hold on to them and build them within yourself is what it's saying. And that's the most important thing Peter says that I can do when the Lord told me to feed my sheep. And what he says this, that that was my calling. And that's the calling, folks, of anyone who fills the pulpits in churches across the world. The calling of anyone who teaches is to be the pastor is comes from the word where you put the sheep in the pasture and they are fed and they are taken care of. And he says, life is temporary. I am going to move on. I am leaving you with something permanent, which is the word of God. And I want you to focus on the message and not the man. You always focus on the message of the word and not just the person who is delivering it because they are nobody. Don't look at me. Look at what I am teaching you, Peter says. Because I'm going to be gone. And here's the thing. If the church, if the body of Christ is to remain a force, if it's to be in unity and the bond of peace, as Ephesians tells us, then it has to be built. Your faith has to be built on the message and not on a person. If the faith is built on a person, they're either going to leave the locality at some point or they're going to pass on, as Peter says, and fold up my tent. And when you do, if your faith is built on the person, then you're going to be unstable. You are not going to be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. But he says, focus on the message because that's what is important. The message provides your stability for this life and for the next one. It's not the people, it's the message. And if the church is built on the message, it will remain stable. If it's built on a scintillating personality and stories and myths, as he's going to talk about in a minute, it will be unstable whenever they depart. So the best thing that any teacher can do is leave you with the Word of God. <clears throat> sure, we, we love our relationships and we'd be sad, but that's not what our faith is built on. It's built on the Word of God. And then he says after this, that's why I am diligently writing these things unto you. That you don't add just relationships, but you add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control endurance and to endurance godliness and to to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Because if you add those things to your life, you will be stable. You will not fall. You will not have a life that is barren or unfruitful. But if you lack these things, and they don't exude from you, that breathe in, breathe out. If you lack these things, you will stumble. 
you will fall. You will be barren and you will be unfruitful. <clears throat> so I am giving you, brethren, more diligence, he says, to understand and to add these things to your life. And then he goes on, he says, they will be built within you forever after I'm gone because there is a day coming that is going to be, and it's coming soon. The great day of the Lord is coming and Jesus is going to come in his glory, in his majesty, and his power. And Peter is saying, are you ready for that? Are you ready for him to come? He says this in verse 16, if you're still following along or if you want to look up here. We are not following cunningly devised fables when we made it known to you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory that said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And we heard that voice which came from heaven and when we were with him on the holy mountain. And that power, that coming, that majesty was a preview of coming attractions. It was the preview of the time when Jesus is going to come again in his glory and take back this world as his own and his kingdom. He was talking about what is real versus what is temporary that we see here. And he was, what Peter is talking about comes from the word of God. Matthew chapter 16 is where he was talking at the end of 16 and verse 17 when he said, we saw this. So here we go. Jesus said to his followers, let's take a look at what Peter saw and what he heard, what he's talking about here in our text. He said, starting in Matthew 16, about verse 24, <clears throat> Jesus said to his followers, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If you desire to save your life, if you desire this life rather than the next, you desire what's in the word, world, you will in reality lose it because this isn't real. But he says, if you lose this present life, if you die to self and you lose this present life and you follow after me for my sake, you will gain everlasting life. What are you willing to give in exchange for that? In exchange for your soul. Then Jesus said in verse 27, The Son of Man, oh here we go, The Son of Man is going to come in His glory of His Father with His angels, and He will reward each of us according to your works. Assuredly, I say to you that there are some that are standing here with me at this day that shall not taste of death until they see the Son of Man coming in His power, glory, and His kingdom. And Jesus is talking about when He's going to come back, but He's saying there's going to be some of you that's going to see a snippet of that and not taste death, and you're going to get to see it. Assuredly, some of you standing here with me will see that. Turn the page. Matthew chapter 17. 
Beginning in verse 1, it says six days later. So six days later, we're going to do something. He takes Peter, James, and John. That's some of them, right? Some of you standing here. He takes these three with him. And he says, come on up. We're going to go up to a mountain. He took them by themselves, and they get up on the mountain. And it says that Jesus was transfigured before him. That word is metamorpho-o, metamorphosis. He was transformed, transfigured into something else. You know how when what metamorphosis means is the inner reality that's unseen, the unseen realm, the, the inner reality that is unseen now changes and becomes what is seen and visible. That's what metamorphosis is. It's when the caterpillar changes from that worm into a butterfly. The inner beauty, the inner reality that was there all along but was hidden until the right time. Jesus metamorphosized in front of him. He transfigured himself into this thing of glory that was there. And it says that he was transfigured and that is the reality of what's going to come. And it says that his face shone. I've seen paintings, artist renditions of the Mount of Transfiguration. I don't know if you have too. But if you have, they've got Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And like around their face, they got this little white little painting. So it's kind of like you think that there's a glow. That's not what this is. What does it say? It says that he was transfigured before them and his face what? Shone like the sun. Is that a little bitty? You try looking at the sun. Can you stand in the presence of it? Can you look at it? This isn't some little painting with you, you started to glow a little bit. Jesus transformed into what he's going to be like when he comes in that day with his angels to reclaim it. His face shone like the sun. Revelation chapter 19 when he's going to get on that white horse. And his face shines like the sun and it says he became clothed in white raiment. That's that battle garment that he's going to put on. He was there in glory and majesty that it says he received from Father in the most excellent glory and majesty. He was changed into what he's going to be. And they saw it. And he, Peter tried to begin to talk and oh we ought to make a couple of tense here and, and celebrate and all of a sudden when he starts talking and Peter tries to interject his ideas God don't want our ideas he says a cloud enveloped all of them bright cloud and then it says a voice thundered from heaven this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased hear him close your mouth and listen Peter you, you can talk later. I'm going to give you a chance later to write about this. But right now you take it in. And you see it. And he says, I was there. I saw it. I experienced I saw him in that glimpse of what he's going to be like in his glory. And when that voice spoke and thundered, it says that they became sore afraid, greatly afraid. And they hit the dirt and their faces in the dirt. And then it says that a moment later, Jesus tapped them. And said, hey, look up. And Jesus was transformed again back into his earthly body and his earthly countenance. And Moses and Elijah was gone. But 
the description of his raiment and his look is the description in Revelation 19 of him coming back again. Revelation talks about the two witnesses and the heralds that will be here to proclaim that the Son of Man is coming back. And that was Moses and Elijah. This is a preview of coming attractions that Peter got to be able to see. And then, back to our text then in in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, when I told you about these things, I wasn't following cunningly devised fables. The word is for myths. I didn't make this stuff up. I was there. I saw it. I saw the Lord as He is going to come. I was an eyewitness of His majesty. A majesty, now keep reading there, that He received from God the Father the honor, the glory, and He was clothed with the most excellent glory from heaven. And I saw it, and not only that, I heard the voice of the Father say, This is my Son, in whom I am pleased. Hear Him. And then He says, I was there on the holy mount with Jesus when this happened. And you would think that an experience like that is real. He couldn't forget it. And you'd say, it was real. I was there. I saw it. I heard it. I experienced it. But what's he say in verse 19? He says, but so what? We've got the prophetic word that was confirmed. In other words, the Old Testament. The prophets spoke about this was going to happen. And so I got a glimpse of what's going to happen. But it's only confirming what the word says is going to happen. And I want you to know something. Experiences can confirm something but the word is what's true. Your experience, experiences can also be false. You can have a false experience. You can feel good about things and think it was that we was really, and it might have been all wrong. So you don't put your trust in the experience is what Peter's saying. I saw it, yes, I was there, but there's something more important than what I saw because it confirmed what's really going to happen. The real thing is going to take place. The Word of God is more real than my experience was. And then it says, he goes on to say, so hear what? You do well, continuing in verse 19. You would do well then, seeing that all these things are true, to heed the Word of God as a light that shines in a dark place until the day of that great day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. And again, the phraseology that Peter is using here is talking about that great day that's coming that he got a glimpse of to see the prophetic word. Okay, I want you to listen now. The prophetic word that was confirmed about the great light that's going to shine in a dark place. And the morning star arise. Listen to Zechariah chapter 14. I'm going to paraphrase the nine verses through there for you. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. Your spoil, your possessions will be divided in the midst. Because they are meaningless. And in that day, His feet. In that day, the Lord's feet, when He comes, is going to stand upon the Mount of Olives, it says. And it will be split in two. From the east to the west, and it will make a very large valley in between. Half of the mountain shall move to the north. The other half of the mountain shall move to the south. Thus, 
the Lord my God says will come with all of his saints. He shall come and it shall come to pass in that day. Here we go. Peter said what? You do well to take heed just like the light shining in the darkness. And the morning star rising. It shall come to pass in that day when he comes and his feet stand on the Mount of Olives and it splits in two. In that day there will be no light. Nor light bearers for they will all withhold their light. All the luminaries are shut down. They will diminish. No light. Complete darkness. And it shall be that day in a full day. Which is known. That day is known to the Lord on when it will come. And it will be like un, unlike any other. It will be dark. Severe darkness. Because nothing will be lit. But at evening. When you expect it to become dark. It says it shall happen. What's going to happen Zechariah? At evening. Jesus is going to come. And the bright and morning star shall rise and come forth. And the Lord our God shall be king over all the earth and take back his creation to himself. Zechariah 14. I saw that confirmed in a snippet of when he's going to come, what he's going to look like. Now, Peter was also thinking of another prophetic word, and I got it up there on the board for you. I want you to read this. This is exciting stuff. Beginning in chapter 13 of Isaiah, verse 6. How ye wail, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. All hands will be limp and every man's heart will melt and be afraid. That means you're just going to drop. Pangs and sorrow will take hold as the pain of a woman in childbirth. They're going to be amazed at one another and their faces will be like flames. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with both wrath and fierce anger, and He will lay the land desolate and destroy the sinners from it. Here we go, verse 10. The stars of heaven, the constellations, they will not give their light. The sun will be darkened, and it's going forth. It's going to be a dark day, just like when the cross had complete darkness at noon. Everything's going to withhold its light. The sun will be dark and the moon will not cause its light to shine. And I am going to judge and punish the world for its evil. The wicked for the iniquities. And I will halt the arrogance of the proud. Yeah, those who don't think that there is a God or who says we don't have to follow what He says. I will halt their arrogance. I will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make man or mortals more rare to see than find gold. And I am going to shake the heavens. I will move the earth out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts. For in the day of His fierce anger. And then we could go on and on about the prophetic word confirmed that He saw. That's just two of them. You can go to Ezekiel 32, Joel chapter 2 and 3. You can go to Revelation 6. All of these are prophetic words that he says is true. And how do I know they're true? They're written in the word of God that lives and abides forever. A God who says I cannot lie. And I have said that that day is coming. And the main thing Peter says, are you ready for it? Are you ready for that day to come? I saw it. I'm not telling you to add these things to your life for no reason. I'm not telling you to lose your life for his sake so that you can gain it for nothing. It is real. It is going to happen. 
Are you ready for it? I don't want you to fall from that. Because the next world, the afterlife, is more real than this world is. So as we close today with this text and the worship team comes on back up. Peter's emphatic, heartfelt words of truth that we had a moment ago. Seeing that all of this is true and is coming. That's why I'm so diligent to tell you these things. I am diligent to remind you every chance that I have to build upon your faith these things so that you make your calling and election sure. I don't want you to fail because I only caught a glimpse of what Jesus said is going to be like when he comes in power and glory. And that prophetic word is going to be confirmed in that day. The Lord is going to come and the heavens are going to shake and quake. And I'm going to tell you something. And this wasn't on, on here, Miss T, if you're following along. But this, this isn't on the paper. I'm just telling you some stuff that I saw in the news. This week, there's going to be a blood moon over Jerusalem from this, at midnight on the 17th going into the 18th. There's going to be a blood moon over Jerusalem. You know what they're also trying to do on the 17th? This blood moon, God knew about it millions of years ago. But they started forming a plan for the peace in New Jerusalem and this treaty. It's supposed to be revealed on that day. Guess what? They had no idea that God had a blood moon over Jerusalem. What's that mean? I don't know. I'm just telling you. There's some things going on. It says in Genesis 1 that I give these things, the sun, the moon, the stars, and the things they do for signs, seasons, years, days. There's some things going on, folks. There's, Jesus said when they asked him, how shall we know and when shall these things be? He said, there's a lot of things. There's going to be wars and rumors of war. What are they talking about over there? He said, there's going to be earthquakes. What do we just had in California? We just had volcanoes explode over in Italy. We've got some things going on. There's signs that saying, I'm getting tired of the way you're leading this world into rebellion against me. Are you ready for that day to come? I pray that each and every one of us here is. If you're not, come and, and make that right today and be baptized into Christ. Confess that faith and do that. If you've not done that, if you have and you're here and you say, but I've, maybe I've not been ready. All you got to do is pray and ask for forgiveness. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If you will confess those things to me, I am faithful and just to forgive you of those sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You are already mine. Just ask and I give. Make it right, folks, because I'm telling you, the prophetic word will be confirmed. There is a day coming. It's coming. And I, don't, I think it's coming sooner than we think. I don't know. I'm not a prophet. I'm just a teacher. Peter says it's going to come. The word says it's going to come. Don't delay and play with danger. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that we've talked so much about just the one side of your essence of the love and the faithfulness and the things. But there's also that other side of who you are that says, I love you and I care for you and I will do anything but 
If you reject my son and the message, then you've rejected your hope. It's, it was in your hands. And so, Father, thank you for these words of encouragement, these words that admonish us to remember that what we think is real and what we try to store up is not really real. But you and that afterlife in the heavenly realm and your word is what's real and what's eternal and that you breathed into man the breath of life. And as we each one become a living soul, we have your breath within us, which is eternal life. And where we spend eternity just revolves around what we think of your son. I pray that everyone here believes in Jesus Christ, believes that he is your son. And I pray that they follow you and follow these things that you've put in your word and that you ask Peter to feed my sheep with, that we add all of these things. And Father, help us to never stumble, to not fall, but that when we do, your word says, but we have an advocate with God the Father and his name is Jesus Christ. And that his blood cleanses us from all sin, from all unrighteousness. And that we have that hope of sharing with you that we will come back with him, as it says, with his saints in that great day. That we will be riding with him, as Revelation 19 says, that we get our white robes. That we come, become a part of you. We long for that day and hasten for it, Father. And we thank you for what you've written. In Jesus' name, amen.